Scripture lesson this morning is from Luke chapter 16, one of the parables of Jesus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and in fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. And even the dogs would come to lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by Abraham's side. And the rich man called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. The rich man said, I have five brothers. Send Lazarus to warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Your brothers should listen to them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone raises from the dead. Once upon a time, there were two men who lived in the same neighborhood. One of them was poor, and one of them was rich. Jesus tells us that the poor man was named Lazarus. Lazarus is the only character in any of Jesus' stories who gets a proper name, who is more than just a man or a woman or a son or a servant. Jesus doesn't tell us what the, what the rich man's name was, but for centuries of Christian tradition, the church has called him Dives, which is Latin for rich. The rich man's name is Richard, literally. Rich for short. The poor man dumpster dives in the rich man's garbage. The rich man ignores the poor man. Both men die, and in the life of the world to come, their fortunes are reversed. Lazarus goes straight to the bosom of Abraham, and Dives goes straight to the fourth circle of hell. Now, this is one of Jesus' finest little stories, dense with meaning and lessons for people such as we. But by concentrating on one of the stories, often overlooked details, I want to push this story in a direction Jesus probably never intended. I want to look at the dogs. Jesus obviously made up this little fiction, but it actually gives us a vivid snapshot of one aspect of life in first century Palestine. It tells us who the scavengers were. Lazarus is poor, but he is not lonely. As he dives in the dumpsters for skimpy nutrition, in Dives' rich refuse, he is accompanied by the dogs. And the Bible takes the trouble to point out that the dogs lick the sores on Lazarus' body, because scavengers, after all, will get calories wherever they can find them. And what I find interesting about the dogs is that they show Lazarus a touching intimacy that the rich man denied him. How does it happen that the dogs show more mercy to Lazarus than his neighbor. Now, 
To be honest about it, I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't intend to, be the, to see the dogs as a symbol of acceptance and mercy. Who knows if Lazarus welcomed the dogs' oral ministrations. Perhaps they irritated him, irritated his body, and irritated his mood. The Bible, after all, is not as in love with dogs as we are, right? Of the approximately 30 times in the Bible that dogs are mentioned, only one or two of those times are positive. Dogs eat garbage and lap up blood, which is anathema to the Jewish holiness code. The bodies of despised people were left to be eaten by the dogs, those that didn't deserve a proper burial. Dogs in ancient Palestine were more pests than pets. 30 times, not many when you think about it, almost all negative. It was one of the lowest insults you could hurl at a person, right? You dog. Still true today, when I'm playing tennis with my son and I drive a nasty forehand deep into his court and he manages to lunge and hit a blooper back to the net and it hits the tape and drops into my court and he has the nerve to boast about it rather than to apologize for it, I yell over at him, you dog. <laughs> the Bible's not in love with dogs, but everyone else is, right? Did you know that the dog was the earliest animal to be domesticated by human communities? 15,000 years ago, way, way, way before cows and sheep and goats. Human beings were dog owners before they were farmers or shepherds. All dogs evolved from wolves, of course, a much, much older species. As a discrete species, wolves are almost 2 million years old, dogs about 15,000. And so what's the difference between a wolf and a dog? A dog is a wolf who will look you in the eye. That's what it is. A dog is a wolf who is not scared of you. And so dogs, like every other species, evolved by natural selection, right? And the fortunate, favorable attribute that was fortified and clarified down the generations was a certain fearlessness in the presence of human beings. So if this wolf could hang out at the town dump and get closer to human beings, that maximized his chances of getting the best garbage and maybe getting a handout from a human child. And so after hundreds of generations and thousands of years, human beings eventually tamed these wild wolves and taught them to guard, hunt, retrieve, herd, and bark at trespassers. Dogs are the only canines, by the way, who will bark. And so, if you know that the earliest animal to be domesticated was the animal that ate our garbage, can you guess what was the next animal to be domesticated? Pigs eat human garbage. So pigs were the next animal to be domesticated. Sheep and goat eat grass, and so it took us a lot longer to figure out that they could be useful too. It's just an accident of the English language, I think. But dog is God spelled backwards. Dog is God in the mirror, sort of. You've heard the old joke, what is a dyslexic insomniac agnostic? A dyslexic insomniac 
agnostic is someone who stays up all night contemplating the existence of dog. <laughs> and I'm not sure if Jesus really intended for us to uh, see dogs as a symbol of mercy in this passage, why he takes the trouble to point out that the dogs licked Lazarus's sores. But based on my own experience of dogs, that's how I choose to see this story. The dogs did not pretend, like Dives, that Lazarus did not exist. They dared to come close and dressed his wounds in their own crude way, doing what they could, something his human neighbor should have done for him, perhaps, but did not do. These dogs prefer the com company of their fellow scavenger rather than the rich man in his lavish mansion because the dogs are blind to Lazarus's poverty and Divy's prosperity, right? Dogs are blind to those distinctions. Dogs will love you if you are beautiful or not so much, if you are smart or not so much. Dogs will love you if you caress them or beat them. Dogs will love you if you are old and wrinkled or young and clueless. They are monumentally indifferent to human rank and status and condition, yes? The vocabulary of human beauty is gibberish to a dog. The syntax of human status is a, a language he will never master. Unconditional love demands a certain blindness to rank and status and beauty, right? Unconditional love between human beings is not exactly impossible, but it is very rare. And we all need it now and then. We all need someone to love us, not because of, but in spite of who we are. Yes. We praise unconditional love in the human community. We praise it, but we're also suspicious of it. As one theologian put it, some such devotion without boundaries seems foolish and cowardly. It's so easy to take advantage of. If your son is an unredeemed drunk, do you owe him unconditional love? If your husband is a serial philanderer, should you love him without condition? If your employee is an uncurable cheat, should you love her without boundaries? It's both foolish and cowardly, and therefore the only place you can find it, unconditional love, is from God and golden retrievers. Only God and golden retrievers will love you infallibly. They don't care if you're rich or poor, smart or stupid, beautiful or not so much. By the way, did you know that most golden retrievers are Presbyterians? <laughs> the breed was uh, established, begun in Scotland or in the latter years of the 19th century. So my guess is that most golden retrievers are Presbyterians, though a bit friendlier than the austere Calvinists were used to. Some golden retrievers have converted to Catholicism. In my last hometown, Father Whistle was the Monsignor at St. Mary's Roman Catholic Church down the road from me, and cavorting in the front yard of the rectory every day were two papist golden retrievers. Their names were Morgan and Chase. 
And up the turnpike at the Diocese of Bridgeport, Bishop Laurie had two Catholic golden retrievers named Barnes and Noble. <laughs> In her memoir, Eat, Love, Pray, Elizabeth Gilbert confesses to falling in love habitually with the wrong kind of man. And she tells the story of falling desperately in love with a New York actor named David. And she says that if she could think of a stronger word than desperately, she would use it. And finally, she figures out what's wrong. She discovers that she is, as she puts it, the most affectionate creature on the planet, a cross between a barnacle and a golden retriever. The clinginess of the golden retriever is legendary and about an inch away from that of a barnacle. Um, you know, preaching is harder than it looks. So every once in a while on Sunday afternoon, I'll rest my eyes. I don't know if all of you can see this, but I'll leave, if you can't see it from the back, I'll leave it up here. My, my wife calls this picture Sunday afternoon. She snuck up on me and took this picture of Duncan helping me rest my eyes on a Sunday afternoon. If you heard of the world, world's shortest book, Everything the Golden Retriever Knows About Respecting Personal Space. God and Golden Retrievers. Unconditional love seems so foolish and cowardly sometimes but I wonder if we could learn something from God and golden retrievers, from Lazarus as dogs and Lazarus as God. I wonder if there's somebody in your life who needs you to turn a blind eye to your scars and your rags and your impoverishment and your lack of standing. I wonder if there's some Lazarus in your life who could really use a little mercy just now. What's the larger sin? Love that lasts too long or love that quits too soon? So as Joe pointed out, this is the end of our eccentric little sermon series, Fantastic Beasts, and where to find them. So I'll just tell you one last story and then we'll be done. A long time ago, I read this beautiful, beautiful novel called the God of Animals by Aaron Kyle about a little 12-year-old girl named Alice who grows up on a horse ranch, a working horse ranch in Colorado where they have a riding school. Alice's father, Joe, is a very unfinished, imperfect human being. He's sometimes indifferent to his daughters, very demanding, sometimes even cruel, but he loves his horses. And Joe prowls the kill sales. Kill sales are auctions where old, used up, abused horses are sold by the pound to glue factories and dog food shops. That's the inevitable destiny of most of them. But Joe buys them for next to nothing and brings them to the riding school, to pasture at the ranch. And in the evening after the riding school clients go home, he works with them to see if he can redeem them and make something of them. He's impatient and demanding with his daughters and with almost everyone else, but he loves these horses. He calls them the old men. And he gives them names like Ace and Admiral and Chief and Charlie. And he loves to tell their stories to anybody who will listen. 
Charlie had been dragged behind a moving truck till his hooves were ground to nubs and had to be bandaged and protected like endangered plants. Chief had been starved to the point of madness and left in the desert to die alone. And old Ace had been beaten with a hammer so hard that his skull was caved in forever after. And when people ask what the old men are doing on a working horse farm that can't afford freeloaders, Joe just tells people the old men are retired. And he puts little children on the backs of these horses and old people because the horses are so gentle. And one time a little girl who absolutely has no talent for riding, a perpetual last place finisher, finisher rides old ace in a show. Old Ace is the one whose skull was battered in with a hammer. Damn, that's an ugly horse, says one observer. But when the little girl and Ace place second place in a show, the girl just breaks down in sobs. This is the happiest day of my life, she says. And this is how the novel ends. I used to watch my father visit the old men in the pasture at the end of the day, and they would come trotting over to him at the sound of his voice and gather around him and groan with perfect pleasure as he scratched them behind the ears or on the neck and mutter to them under his breath. And he would tell me what these horses might have been had things been kinder and different for them. And that's how I'll always remember my father the sound of his voice as he spoke their names, the gentleness of his touch, and the way he loved, truly loved, every one of those horses, every one of those broken dreams, those broken promises, those dreams that never came true. And as for the ending of a novel, that is just about as good as it gets. The way he loved, truly loved every one of them, all of those broken promises and dreams that never came true. At one point or another, that describes all of us, right? A broken promise, a dream that ne might never come true. God and golden retrievers will love you anyway. Is there anybody in your life who is a dream that hasn't come true yet. It's something to think about. Pray with me. God, so many blessings to be thankful for today. A perfect summer day. The hospitality of our hosts. Your unconditional love shown most clearly in Jesus Christ, your Son, here are silent reflections. In his name, amen.